The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Acquisition. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hey, Father Corey. How's it going? And Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Folks, be sure to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this great community and reach more listeners. Also, subscribe to the show on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Media. And share that as well with your friends. We really want to grow our channel and our community of listeners. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called Let's Science. You can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash science. All right, we're talking about this Enterprise episode acquisition. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? A group of Ferengi pirates has gassed everyone on the Enterprise, and so they're all asleep, except for Trip Tucker, who was in decontamination at the time. The Ferengi also wake up Captain Archer to learn where the ship's loot is hidden, and Trip uses a hypospray to wake up to Paul. Together, the three of them must play divide and conquer with the Ferengi, tricking them into thinking that the Enterprise has a special secret vault of gold and luring them into a vulnerable position. They do this, and when the Ferengi enter the supposed vault, T'Pol shoots them with a phase pistol and that she liberated from those that the Ferengi had stolen, and afterwards they make the Ferengi unload all the stolen goods uh, from their shuttle, and Captain Archer threatens them if they ever come near human space again. The end. <laughs> as, as succinct of a, a, cap, a recap as you can get. And, uh, yeah, so this is... Our first encounter with Ferengi, chronologically speaking, mm-hmm. between humans and Ferengi. This is a thing that you kind of see in Discovery sometimes, too, where we have long before... I'm trying to remember what... I, I know this happened in Discovery, but I don't remember exactly the circumstances. Long before the established canon official first contact, we get these other first contacts. Right. Uh, in, in fact, Enterprise does it with the Romulans too. I think and, at one and point. the Borg, yeah, and, and the, Borg. the Borg, yeah. And that's not that's not uncommon. I mean, historically, there you would have like rumored first encounters, rumored first contacts between, say, Europeans and various people around the world during the Age of Exploration before regular or formal first contact was made. And so, you know, I don't have a problem with this concept of early encounters that didn't really... And they're doing the same thing over on um, Strange New Worlds with the Gorn right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's Um, true. So I don't have a problem with that in principle, although I remember when this episode came out, there were lots of people who were like, but wait, it's canon that we never saw the Ferengi before... Before that st- stupid episode, in, <laughs> yeah. no, not, in first generation, next gen, and, and yep. after yep. Farpoint, mm-hmm. we hear about him in Farpoint, but we don't right. see him until later. 
That's true. And, and the idea that the Federation would have no knowledge of an established training, trading race was always stupid. Mm-hmm. Because you're obviously in contact with people who have been in contact with them. So you should have pictures and things like that of what they look like. So that was always stupid. Yeah. And that episode was horrible anyway, the last yeah. outpost. <laughs> yeah. That's right. But, you know, they they deal with it relatively well here. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the episode, when they wake up Captain Archer, Captain Archer says, who are you? And they have a believable line. They say, who we are is not important. Just tell us where your loot is. And yep. that's the kind of thing that pir- pirates could say. Where it falls down is at the end of the episode because this is an unknown race you've gotten the upper hand with them you've made them unload all the loot that they stole so why don't you ask them who they are now (laughs) yeah why do you just threaten them never come around federations what will be federation space again yeah yeah it there's this there's this tendency in some stories where we we're back in time where we this contrivance of the audience knows something that the Mm -hmm. characters don't and i think it's kind of what they do here and yeah i mean it's plausible to that you in the heat of the situation you won't get their name but yeah eventually you would i mean who are you people okay what's your name we're writing it down we're putting it your picture on the wall so that mm-hmm. you can't be served here anymore you know what I mean? like you would get some information i mean their job mm-hmm. is to acquire information well and they yeah. they did get you know you think about it they've got their description of what the, the ferengi look like they've got the description of their ships they've got the things like the rules of acquisition you know and you think that they would be asking around like like you mentioned um, yeah, and it, it even the Vulcans don't know who these these people are, and you know again this is kind of a time when these races are expanding out in space, so that's somewhat plausible at the time of Enterprise, but right. but you would think by TOS time there are at least people who would know who the Frangi yeah. are, even if the Federation isn't currently encountering them and don't until the time of TNG. Right. But yeah, you're, you're right. It, it does seem a little bit implausible. And who knows, maybe at some point, Strange New Worlds, they'll have a, they'll throw in the name Frangi somewhere to kind of cover that little <laughs> loophole, too, that they were known by the Federation. They just didn't, they've never actually encountered them directly right. at that point. Yeah, I kind of want to shake Archer and go, dude, what is your prime mission? Okay, <laughs> exploration, new right. life, new civilizations. You just found one. Yep. You should be documenting this. As soon as you have the upper hand, you take medical scans, do technological scans of their shuttle, copy whatever you can get out of their database. You know, his actions at the end of the episode make absolutely no sense from the point of view of a Starfleet explorer. Apparently, the showrunner Brandon Braga uh, agreed that this was a bad idea. He he was later quoted as saying, uh, there's no excuse for the Ferengi, no excuse. That was an an act of desperation. I hated it. Yeah, so, I don't I, mind the Ferengi. I just yeah. it. I'm fine having the Ferengi here, and it's an okay episode. Um, it's not great, but it's okay. I just hate the way they end it. Yeah, they, yeah. they should have done something else. Like instead of getting the upper hand, the Ferengis get away at the last mm-hmm. minute before they can ask questions or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say though, three bright lights in this are the three guest stars: Ethan right. Phillips. Uh, Clint Howard Clint and Howard. Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. 
I so I had a, a bit of a question about those. I mean, I, as soon as it came on, and I hadn't watched this episode in years, so I didn't remember who was in it. As soon as it came on, it's oh, that's Neelix. Yep. Yeah. And just by his voice, mm-hmm. that's right. that's that's you know that's clearly the actor who plays Neelix. And then oh, by the shape of his mouth, that's Jeffrey Combs. Yep. And and then oh, that's Clint Howard, and mm-hmm. who's the Tranya kid. Um, and also Ron yeah. Howard's brother. Yep. Yes. And I don't mind having Clint Howard. Uh, so Jeffrey Combs, I totally don't mind having in this Always. because <laughs> because he's great and playing yeah. different roles is his thing on Star Trek. Yep. Clint Howard, I don't mind uh, because he's, even though he's been on the show before, um, way back in first season original series. Yeah. Um, I don't mind seeing him either. He's a minor part, but think about Neelix. Ethan Phillips was a major, who was a main cast actor right. on the previous series and mm-hmm. having him brought back as a different character after seven seasons of having him in the main cast and listening to his voice is a little distracting. Yeah. And it would it would be like taking you know LeVar Burton from Next Gen and recasting him as an alien on Deep Space 9. It's like I just watched 7 seasons of that guy. Yeah. You know, it it's it's kind of a distraction. So I yeah. wouldn't have brought back a main cast person in yeah. a supporting role like this. See, so yeah, I, I I thought it was I thought it was like fun if nothing else because the mm-hmm. way they cast the different actors was very different because the character Jeffrey was, was way yeah. throughout you know half of ds9 yeah so he was also well, brunt. I, well, brunt that's that's actually mm-hmm. something i thought was really great because mm-hmm. he played a ferengi before but just a different ferengi and yeah. they did it well enough he did it well enough that you didn't think oh this is just brunt you know, well, and, as, and the, the as a different thing, guy. And the same thing with Ethan Phillips. He wasn't playing a Neelix character. He was actually playing more of a leader, more of a, you know, actually a, for a Ferengi, a strong character. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so they kind of subverted and Jeffrey Coombs was playing. He was the, the he was the ROM. He was the ROM yeah, character yeah. in this one where he was kind of the, the beat down brother yeah. instead of the strong leader, you know, and uh, uh, Clint Howard, who wasn't just back in TOS, but it was in both TNG and, and was he in TNG? He was in DS9 because he was in the, yeah. the, mm-hmm. the back to San Francisco episode. So, you know, they kind of subverted their characters, their normal characters within Star Trek in, I thought, what worked out really well. It wasn't a distraction for yeah. me that was Ethan Phillips. I actually kind of got a kick out of it. I didn't, I didn't find it distracting. I thought it was interesting that it's such a different character from Neelix. Um, and Jeffrey Coombs, even more so than being Brunt and Wayun, yeah. was also the uh, Dorian in Enterprise. Tran. And, Tran. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and that could have been really distracting and wasn't because Jeffrey Coombs is a great actor and yeah. plays a different role. And the makeup, of course, gives us a different look, but it, and, it's great. And it's, it's also his thing of playing yeah. multiple characters. So you don't, you're, ha- you're so happy to see, and he was so great as Wayun and Brunt. Yes. Those were great characters. They're just always happy to see what, to see Jeffrey Combs. Yes, yes, definitely. Oh, absolutely. You know, and the, also speaking of cast, we only had three of the regular cast members who were at least awakened, giving lines yeah. throughout the episode, uh, mm-hmm. which was interesting. That they really 
pared it down. I mean, almost like a, it was almost like a stage play in the sense of the, how small the cast was, active cast was. I wonder if they got paid regular rate for being asleep That's on the what, floor. I was just going to ask that, you know, because we've discussed here you, you before do. where, you know, yeah. if they just have one line, they get paid as if, you know, if they've been in the whole show. Well, in this case, they only had like one or two scenes where they're laying on the floor asleep. <laughs> yeah that was good the um so this episode is kind of now because of the way it's structured you've got the ferengi pirates and there's four of them and then you've got the the three main characters it's just coincidentally it's those three main characters who wake Mm -hmm. up (laughs) and they've got to do a this is not going to be a a a high violence episode so it's not going to be die hard Mm -hmm. instead it's going to because the Ferengi are comedic and so forth so this is this is going to be a deception and outwitting based plot it's how Mm -hmm. are our three main characters going to outwit the Ferengi and and so that's really the criterion by which this has to be judged you know it's like it go it's once you realize the nature of the setup it's like okay Where's the fun in this episode going to come from? It's going to be watching our three main characters out with the Ferengi and see how they manage to do yeah. that. And also, the episode is kind of reminiscent of the Partners' Tale uh, from the Canterbury Tales, because mm-hmm. where so in the Partners' Tale, the partner himself is an unethical man, and he tells a story about these three criminals who decide to kill death because you know big goals are good <laughs> and and the three of them end up finding money and be, and it creates divi- because they're thieves the money they find creates divisions between them mm-hmm. and and they and that's their undoing and so you know the ferengi are super greedy so Obviously, it's going to be their disputes over the loot that, and their in irrational pursuit of loot that is going to be their undoing. And so you can kind of see that coming a mile off. Mm. But it's still fun for the most part how they get there. What I found a little less fun was so Captain Archer pairs up with with Jeffrey Coombs's character, whose name is is a Krem. But I'm likely to call him Wayun, <laughs> and and Captain Archer is sort of paired with him. He's the low low one on the totem pole in the among the Ferengi, and so he's assigned to watch the human. Although they don't know at first that they're called humans, they learn <laughs> that in this episode. And so Captain Archer starts working on him to turn him against the other Ferengi. And that is such a cliche. <laughs> it is. I've just, I mean, oh, I remember last season they did Captain Pike was doing that on on Strange New Worlds. And it, it's <laughs> just such a cliche of turn, turn, the, turn the guy you're with against the others. And so he's doing the, oh, well, that doesn't seem fair. And the performance is by the actor is actually quite good. Um he's so likable that he says his lines naturally but it is still just blindingly obvious that this is a turn the guy against his buddies plot. 
Right. Where they do it better in the same episode, I think, is with um, with uh, T'Pol. Mm-hmm. At one point, T'Pol sneaks on the bridge, which is where the the other uh, two of the other Ferengi are, including the leader, uh, three of the other Ferengi. Clint Howard's character Muck has had had these like three tricorders, these three scanners that he was carrying around, and he'd set them down on a console. And so T'Pol sneaks onto the bridge and swipes the scanners, mm-hmm. and she puts one of the scanners in um, Ulysses. In yeah, in his bag. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one that's played by by Neelix. Um, he's the leader, and he puts one in his bag of loot, and and she keeps another one. Mm-hmm. And so she waits until Clint Howard has noticed his scanners are missing, and he assumes, being a Ferengi and knowing what Ferengi are like, he assumes the other two have stolen them. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, "Come on, guys, give it back." And they're like, what? We don't have it. And they're totally sincere. You know, it's like, we don't have that. You should keep better track of your scanners. And then um, to Paul from outside the room uses the one she has to trigger the other, the, the, uh, one of the other scanners. So it starts making a noise in Neelix's bag. And, and, and here you've just been caught red handed. Right. And, and then it's like, okay, where's the other one? And it's not anywhere to be found because mm-hmm. she kept it. So that means you have an ongoing source of distrust with them. And they do this without Paul saying anything. Mm-hmm. And this is, is – it's also very reminiscent of the partner's tale. Um, but it, um, it, it, it's very effective – it's an effective way of turning them against each other without the cliched, oh, that doesn't seem fair. They should treat you better. Shtick, and it's interesting. To Paul's work is the one that does leads to the final conclusion, the final trick. That oh yeah, we've got this vault, and of course yes. the three of them are so suspicious of each other now that right. they're they're almost fighting each other to get to the gold first, so that the other ones can't steal before they get a chance to see it. You know, there is some nice writing in this. I mean, the mm-hmm. opening is the you know there's this device, uh, this plot device of. We don't understand them. We don't understand the Ferengi language. Yep. But we infer it. Like in the teaser and in the beginning of the first act, we can infer what they're saying based on their actions and what we know of Star Trek and the mm-hmm. Ferengi and that sort of thing. So I like that the audience has to stay in the dark and we're trying to figure out why we're in the situation we are because there's mm-hmm. no explanation. Why is the crew out cold? Where do these Ferengi come from? We get that eventually, but not. And it's stupid. Yeah. Well, yes, it was dumb. The the, the planting the the gas and bringing it on board and opening it in engineering. Uh, yeah, for some the the ultimate explanation we're given is that Trip was, and the reason he's in Decon is he had gone on a mission to some moon and he found an artifact and he brought it back. And he while he was in Decon, they opened it up and it contained a gas that put everyone mm-hmm. to sleep. And there's just so much wrong with that. <laughs> Number <laughs> yes. one. You have a decontamination process. Yeah. You are obviously sensitive to the idea of bringing harmful things on board. Why didn't you check out the artifact before you opened it? Yeah. We put the, and, we put the person in the thing, but not the artifact. <laughs> yeah. Which is going to be more dangerous in all likelihood. <laughs> right. and, and And then, okay, let's suppose it contains a gas. 
how does that gas infect the entire ship? <laughs> right. I can containment. see it. Yeah, exactly. There should be containment protocols and and the ventilation system should be handling this. And as okay. soon as a gas is detected, there should be automatic ventilation procedures that activate to protect people. Furthermore, supposing the gas did fill the entire ship enough, uh, it, how would that happen fast enough for no one to seal bulkheads? Yeah. If people start down. if yeah. people start collapsing in engineering or wherever, people on the bridge should say close bulkheads. Right. And they don't. Um even supposing that the gas manages to act fast enough, it's so potent, it goes through the whole ship and 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 knocks everybody out before they can do anything. It's going to be so potent that it's going to kill the people in immediate proximity to the artifact. Right. Any gas right. that potent is going to kill the people closest to the source. So there's a ton of stuff that's just stupid about they should have used some magic space device to put right. everybody to sleep and it's just a kind of technology we'd never heard of. Um but the the opening sequence where everyone's asleep and you've got these Ferengi walking around talking to each other in Ferengi in the first 10 minutes of the show we have no English dialogue that's that's effective that's nice writing yeah, yeah that was good yeah well, and, and of course yeah. and that's one thing Enterprise did do well was they did do when they first encountered a new species they didn't immediately start speaking English the universal translator did not know that language until it kind of picked up. And, and sometimes it got a little tedious of keep them talking, keep them talking, and then finally it would pick up. But this worked right. out well, where they didn't belabor it too long, where as soon as right. Archer woke up, they had their universal translators right there, and it was within a couple of sentences that they picked up. Which is ridiculous, but we'll but, go with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> we have to go with it. <laughs> so, um, speaking of the decontamination chamber... Shouldn't there be a release on the inside for emergencies, like so someone could get yeah. Actually, I don't know that there should be. If you've got oh. someone horribly infected by a plague and it's driving them crazy, you don't want them having an emergency get on board the ship switch. Yet, all you got to do is pull the speaker off and hit a couple of switches <laughs> underneath and it pops open anyways, so it doesn't That's matter. True. That's true. That's not um, very secure at all. Also, why didn't Trip like stop and put some clothes on instead of running around in his underwear? He did eventually, <laughs> he eventually did. I'd be like, "What, dude? Just take a minute, put something like you, you, because there's obviously when you come out of the decontamination, there's jumpsuits right there. We've seen that. Like his clothes mm -hmm. are waiting for him, but mm -hmm. he didn't bother. Like, it just, it was as you mentioned, Jimmy. It's yeah. sort of an homage to Die Hard, and that's sort of the idea. It's interesting that you mentioned how it's the uh, the way we solve it is out with them in a sort of almost funny way, instead of violence. And that's because it's Ferengi. If we were Ferengi is your opponent, it's going to be a funny thing. If, if Klingons are your opponent, it's going to be a violent thing. Yeah. And that's really how it comes down. I, I think the real reason they is they just, they paid a lot of money for those cool underoos and they just <laughs> wanted to show yeah. them. That's right. That's right. Uh, well, we know that Enterprise had this, uh, this habit of, uh, innuendo and, and that sort of stuff. So maybe it was something maybe for the Maybe it leaks. was that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I did like also this, the assumption, this cultural misunderstanding that, of course, you would have a vault on board a ship. That's what Frankie would have, so why wouldn't you have that? 
And so it shows that these cultural misunderstandings and assumptions go both ways. You know, the humans often assume that aliens have the same values and principles that govern the way that they do things and make assumptions. And so I like that there was that back and forth uh, assumption. There's a nice moment in that scene where uh, Neelix is saying to Captain Archer, um, you know, tell us where your vault is. And Archer is, I don't have a vault, you know, uh, mm-hmm. we don't do, mm-hmm. we don't do trade. Take whatever you want on my, on my ship and leave. And, and so, and all they found is junk, which is mm-hmm. also a stupid thing about this episode is look, these guys are taking a bunch of junk off the enterprise. Like at one, yeah. at one point they take a chair that is strapped or bolted to a big long piece of metal. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, how is that any good to you at all? I mean, <laughs> right. you should have your own chairs. And even if you take this one, retrofitting it with that big hunk of metal on it is going to be more effort than it's worth. Well, so yeah. they're really they're just taking a bunch of junk. Although we're we're later told they they take took weapons, they cleaned out all the weapons lockers. Mm-hmm. Okay, we well, could have shown that. that well, we see the torpedoes, but not the weapons lockers. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, it shows though that they're even willing to take chairs that are bolted down for that they think might have value. Because of course that chair is cool because it slides back and forth along the track. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, but there's a nice moment here because um, Archer says, "You know, take whatever you want and, and leave." And the and Neelix says he has a thought and says, "Okay, I'm going to push him to reveal where the vault is." And he says, okay, let's take the females and, and head for the nearest slave market. Mm-hmm. And and he's thinking Archer will view the females as valuable enough to reveal where the vault is in exchange. Right. And, and Archer knows there is no vault, so he mm-hmm. can't do that. But he he does care about the females. And so he says... I'll tell you where the vault is if you leave the females and give me some of the gold. And yeah. and that's a nice moment because they're both the, Neelix's move about I'm going to take these females unless you tell me where the vault is works mm-hmm. from his perspective. He thinks, "Aha, now mm-hmm. he's going to tell me where the vault is because I threatened right. his females." And instead, what's really happened is now Archer is going to construct an elaborate ruse. Mm-hmm. But but Neelix found the right pressure point. Yes, it was, did. It, take the females yes. to the slave market will motivate him. And and then we have another nice moment because um, Archer doesn't just say, "I'll tell you where the vault is." He complicates the story to make, which ends up making it more believable. Of I'll tell you where the vault is. If you give me half of the gold, mm-hmm. and then they start right. haggling over how much of the gold he should get, yeah. But that portrays Archer as that that that's a, in magic that would be called a prover, um, because it's not just a complete capitulation, and the fact he's resisting and he's showing profit interest himself mm-hmm. is going to make the story more believable. And eventually they pay that off with Trip and 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 Archer even get in a fight. Trip pretends yep. that he's married to Hoshi, mm-hmm. even though she's unconscious. He pretends he's married to her, and so he doesn't want her taken to a slave market. 
and he accuses Archer of only caring about your precious gold, right? which sells the illusion even more. And then the two right. of them get in a fist fight over this issue. And all of that sells the deception really nicely. Yeah. What's, what's funny, though, is the whole thing about gold is, as we found out in DS9, gold press, gold press latinum isn't valuable for the gold. It's for the latinum inside of it. Gold is useless because right. it's so common. At least it was in the DS9 time. Yeah. But in here, and they mentioned gold press latinum in this, so it's, it's known to mm-hmm. the Ferengi at that time as well. Apparently, at this point, gold replication hadn't been perfected yet or something, so the gold still has value, although not as much as gold-pressed latinum. Right. So then we have Krem's creepy fascination with T'Pol, which, of course, he does. (laughs) He singles out T'Pol. Well, Um, okay, so for Ferengi, ears are sexual characteristics. I mean, they're, they're, they're erotic objects, and so when you see a woman with these pointy ears from their evolutionary logic, that could be exotic and that could be mm-hmm. an exotic sexual characteristic. Yeah. Oh, and then we get that uh, creepy umox later, but <laughs> I, I yeah. like though that they, so later Krim, so T'Pol gets in on the deception and when Krim is alone, she comes to him and says, have you come here to rescue me? And she sells him this story about, I'm, I don't like humans at all. Captain T'Pol said all these bad things about me when I was unconscious, or yeah, supposed yeah. to be unconscious, you know. And, um, and they don't think highly of me. And it's like, well, then why are you with them? I'm not here by choice. I'm a captive. I'm a slave. And mm. are you going to rescue me? And he starts, he, he starts talking to her about how great she would be as a, as a spouse and, and do you know what umaks are? And she starts to give him umaks and nerve pinches him. Yep. <laughs> and the whole, the whole reason for going along with umaks is to get her hand close to his shoulder so she can nerve pinch him. <laughs> yep. Uh, I do note that uh, Ferengis apparently have cl- glass jaws because yeah. <laughs> Tucker knocks one out pretty handily after biting his ear, which given everything else about ears is kind the, of yeah. Biting the <laughs> ear was nice. That was, you know, yeah. it is a sensitive <laughs> organ for them. So... Yeah, in combat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's so. that's the that would be the equivalent of kicking someone in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, th- as part of the, tr- the 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 trick, the outwitting them, they t- Tucker puts a lock on the biomatter resequencing access door, which that's wastelet reclamation. I was yeah. kind of hoping cause I didn't remember exactly what happens, uh, but I was kind of hoping it w- they're going to go in and they're going to be like flooded, like they're going to be mm-hmm. falling into the septic tank or something, but it wasn't. But it's Who's kind me? of that's that's what it was. Uh, yeah, it's, it's well, I like he takes it literally takes them around in circles so that they mm-hmm. have time to get things set up in there to be ready for them. Right, right. You know, right. We passed that, that hatch. Oh, we got a thousand of those hatches. You know, <laughs> and no, yeah. you really did pass that hatch probably about three times now. <laughs> right. There was a scene where uh, the two Frankies, Muck and Grish, are in Archer's quarters trying to talk to Porthos. That was um, that debating was fun. whether it's intelligent or not. But look at those ears. Of course, it's intelligent. Yeah, <laughs> and then they take poor Porthos and put him in a in a, in a container. Yeah, uh, um, you know. But be- beagles aren't known for being intelligent. Now, if it was a black lab, then maybe you'd have something to say. But <laughs> oh, we're gonna get letters from beagle owners. That, oh no, that, we, we had beagles. They're not intelligent. They're fun. <laughs> that scene has has created a mental snag for me because. There is some other 
science fiction thing where a dog gets kidnapped. And at the resolution, the human captain-like hero is talking to the aliens and, and, and says something to the effect of, oh, and I want my dog back, and give him a bath. I don't know where he's been. And that is so familiar, and I can't place what it's it, in. Would that it feels could that also like, have been an Enterprise? Could that also have been an Enterprise? It, well, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering, is that the end of this episode, where Captain Archer triumphantly gets the dog back? But I don't think it is. It's, my memory is that the emotional tone is a little meaner than Captain Archer usually is. It might be Enterprise. It might be somewhere else in Enterprise, but See, it might oh, be oh, something yeah. else, too. But it's like... Give me. I want my dog back, and I want and give him a bath because I don't know where he's been. Who it kind of my the emotional feel of it is kind of like. Oh, I think I think I know who it is. I think it's Max Eilerson from the Babylon Five spinoff Crusade. Mm. That may be who it is. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen that one then. Yeah. Only so yeah, it may have been his yeah. cat rather than his dog. No. <laughs> <laughs> In any so, event, seeing pets get kidnapped brings thoughts emotion- like that to mind. Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. that's a big emotional pull on the audience. That's for sure. Um, so, to Paul, in the end, after they've they've rounded up the the uh, Ferengi, to Paul at first refuses to unlock Archer mm-hmm. because yep. he said he was because he had said she was uninteresting when he thought she was asleep. Uh, that she complained all the time and had no sense of humor. Um, Which shows great he, sense of humor to yes throw it back the way she put it, threw it back at him. But he he jokes with her like yeah oh come on you know it's you know he makes a joke then she still refuses he's like okay now I'm ordering you I'm not joking yeah. anymore <laughs> unlock me at, <laughs> Just, at which point she does yeah yep. yep um and yeah and I have a note at the very end is, is why does no one ever ask them what their species is you know and you know maybe we're supposed to assume it happens off screen and ends up deep in some file somewhere that no one ever reads but you know that's that's how it is. So, um, final notes, Father Corey? One thing I got a kick out of it, among, amongst all the stuff that they harvested from the Enterprise includes two kegs of beer. In, <laughs> inside right. the ship there, you see two just regular standard kegs of beer sitting there. So I don't know if that came from the uh, crew room of the, the chute <laughs> or, you know, yeah. if they had Was to get those special. But, um, and then they said they have 14 weapons lockers on that ship. They actually have quite a bit of weapons on that yeah, on Enterprise. scattered around, yeah. Well, I mean, given how often you get invaded, you want to have weapons yeah. at the ready everywhere. So, <laughs> yeah, and then and then we we get to see the energy whip, which much better special effects than it was on TNG. Oh yeah, yeah. those look so much, much better. better, so much more believable than they did on TNG. Mm. Jimmy, final thoughts? No, I think that's it. I think it was an episode. Oh, one note is uh, the rules of acquisition are different mm-hmm. than they yep. are in uh, in DS Nine. Um, in DS9, there are 285 rules of acquisition. Oh, that's right. And like, for example, rule 285, no good deed ever goes unpunished. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but here there are only 173 rules of acquisition, which means that in a period of a couple hundred years, they came up with, with a hundred new rules of acquisition. Oh, yeah. So they must have had some really major shifts in Ferengi society, uh, you know, some like big Vatican II event or something. 
with the the Grand yeah. Nagus says introducing these new rules. Um, <laughs> but once every, uh, once every two years isn't quite that often, on average. <laughs> But since these were handed down from, you know, the original Grand Nagus Ghent, who presumably lived long, long ago, it to get up to 173 and then 100 more in 200 years, that's that's a very substantial economic revision. Um, <laughs> other other so, option, they found a lost document. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the other half of the, the Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. <laughs> There, or purchased and there a change. The lost document. Let's say that. <laughs> yes. The uh, the sixth rule that is quoted in this is um, never let family get in the way of profit. Yeah. But by the time of DS nine, it's never let family get in the way of opportunity. Well, so. it's 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 the post Vatican II liberalization. You know, not <laughs> op- profit is a subcase of opportunity. There you go. <laughs> All right, so I think that should do it for us this time. We'd like to thank our take a moment to thank our patrons to make it, who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Stephen W., Jeremy F., Paul R., James R., and Oscar P. Their generous donations at sqpn.com/give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest, and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com/give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So we'd love to hear what you think of this Enterprise episode acquisition. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash Trek, or our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn... Let me say that again. sqpn.com slash Discord. And Of course, you can now watch The Secrets of Star Trek in full video on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing, well, the next two episodes are the last two uh, before Star Trek Picard Season 3 begins. And two elements that show up in Picard Season 3 that we know of are Lore, Data's brother, and Moriarty, the holodeck uh, program from Sherlock Holmes. And so we're going to be talking next time about Data Lore, the episode, the TNG episode that brought us lore. After that, we'll be talking about Ship of Fools, uh, that the TNG episode that Ship in a Bottle. Ship in a Bottle. Ship. Why did I say Ship of Fools? I knew it was wrong as soon as I said it. <laughs> ship in a Bottle. Gosh, uh, that's the TNG episode. That's the last one that Moriarty was in. So. Next time, we'll be talking about data lore. And until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you. Live long and prosper. And rule number one, once you have their money, you never give it back. <laughs> Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, if that kind of thinking on your homeworld almost destroyed it, then you should have managed your businesses better. <laughs>